Welcome to our Daily Inspiration Podcast. As Inspire Church is walking through a 30-day rule of life, whether you are participating fully or just listening, we hope you are blessed. Hey there, Inspire Church. My name is David Collister. I'm the lead pastor at Current Church in the Silicon Valley here, here in Mountain View. It's an honor Pastor Philip would invite me to share with you. Uh, love your pastor. Uh, you guys know this, of course, but uh, you, you are incredibly blessed to have him as your pastor. The topic I'm covering today is the discipline of giving. And here's the thing it seems to me when most Christians think about giving. Most Christians tend to think giving is something I have to do. You know, I, I have to give. It's a good thing, but it's something I have to do. But the key thought I want to talk with you about today is that the scriptures really teach that giving isn't something we have to do. Giving is something we get to do. And if we don't see it that way, we're missing out. In his letter to the early church in Corinth, Greece, the Apostle Paul wrote to them in part to commend them for their generosity. Specifically, the Corinthian church had heard of a need in Jerusalem and had responded to it uh, with generosity. Uh, There had been a severe famine there in Jerusalem. And it just ravaged the land. And as a result, the early Christian church there was really struggling, just barely hanging on. Well, the Corinthians, as well as a few other churches in the area, heard about this and responded with generosity. And here in the text that we're going to read, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, we see Paul not only commending them for their generosity, but showing how for them, and really for us today, it's a gift to give. So we're going to be talking about the gift of giving. Uh, let me read from 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verses 6-16. through 16. Paul wrote, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. All right, so here we see the the gift of giving. And what I want to look at with you specifically from this text are three ways Paul says our giving has impact. All right, three ways our giving has impact. Number one, as you give generously, we see here, God generously blesses you. As you give generously, God will generously bless you. This is repeated over and over throughout this text. Again, verse 6, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Verse 10, now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. 
verse 11. You will be enriched in every way. As you give generously, God will generously bless you. This is an incredible promise and an incredibly unique promise found in the scriptures. What do I mean by that? There are very few promises in the scriptures that have such a cause and effect link that we see here. You know, very few promises of the many recorded in the scriptures come as a direct result of our actions. So for instance, another unique promise in this way is when God commands us to honor our father or mother, quote, so that it may go well with you and that you may have long life on earth. That's another unique promise that has such a cause and effect link. But here in our text, we have this incredibly unique promise in the scriptures, this cause and effect that as you do this, it'll happen. And yet it's also repeated just over and over again in rapid succession. As you give generously, God will generously bless you. Paul is using a farming metaphor to say the more that you scatter your wealth, the more you gather it. And the more you try to keep it to yourself, the more it'll dissipate. But how can that be? Well, think of farmers, right? The more they scatter seed, the more they will reap. And keep in mind that that seed comes back to them in better form, right? At harvest time, they can sell it, they can eat it, whatever the case. In the same way, spiritually wise people will realize that their money is seed. And the only way for them to turn it into real riches is by giving away in remarkable proportions. Now, we need to understand understand something that's very important here. The promise that Paul is sharing here is not one that's known as the prosperity gospel. That's to say, what Paul is not saying here is give generously and God's going to hook you up with more money. Or give generously, and you know that car you've been eyeing? God's God's going to give that to you. Or give generously, and that health problem that you're experiencing, or that crisis that you're dealing with, it's just going to go away. That's not the promise here. That's not in the scriptures. But what we do see in the scriptures and what we see here is the more you give away and invest wisely toward God's kingdom work. That's to say, the more you give away, say, to the church, to ministries, to programs that help people spiritually and physically, the more your money becomes the real wealth of changed lives in others and of spiritual health in yourself. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He said, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. What were all those things? He was saying, I'm going to take care of you in ways that you need to be taken care of. Just seek me, seek my kingdom first, and it, it will go well with you. God will bless you and take care of you. I got to see my parents do this firsthand when they decided to start a church in Berkeley when I was a little guy. This is in the early 90s. They decided, they felt God calling them to start a church in Berkeley, and it's not like they had a lot of money to do that. My dad had just left a pastoral job down, down there in San Diego, which is where I was born. Uh, but they decided that they were going to start a church in Berkeley, really on a shoestring. They, they, they did what we call a parachute drop, not a lot of resources. And uh, I have five brothers and sisters. So, you know, financially, this was an exercise of faith for, for my parents. And I remember going around looking at all these houses in parts of, of the East Bay, inner, inner city Oakland, that sort of thing. And, and the houses that we could afford... You know, I remember one specifically was was like completely on a slant. If you dropped a marble on any part of the, you know, the living room, it would just real quickly slide to one side of the room. Everything was just slanted. We're walking through. That's those are the kind of houses we're looking at. 
the schools and all that, we were just trusting God. But then at one point, just, I mean, seriously, miraculously, this guy happened to hear that we were looking for a home in the East Bay uh, and uh, happened to have a home available. And he said, he found out that my dad was a pastor, that my parents were looking to start a church and said, hey, I want you to come have this house. And it was a wonderful house, great school district, all the rest of it. And he, he's, and it was something we couldn't afford, which we've already established up to this point. The guy said, hey, uh, because you're starting a church, because you're a pastor, I want to I wanna knock off a couple hundred thousand dollars to make it possible for you. Uh, I'm in ministry today in part for, for having seen stories like that. Just seeing stories, and this is just one of many I could share, of, of my parents, for instance, seeking God's kingdom first and God just taking care of the rest. I could share stories of how that's happened in, in Cindy's in my, my life in terms of housing, in terms of just different ways financially. I could share stories of buddies, for instance, who have recently put their faith in Jesus, or at least did as, as adults, and they talked about how giving to the church and all that sort of thing sounded kind of weird, but I guess it made sense, only to, when they started to give, find out that actually it was really amazing. It really is true that God does take care of us, and what's more, he does bless us, often in ways that we would just not anticipate or even think he, he, we could dream of. Jesus said, seek ye first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and, and, and he'll take care of the rest. The promise in our text, 2 Corinthians 9, is those who sow generously will also reap generously. But notice again that that same verse also says it this way, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. It seems to me that often we do not sow our resources, or we, we don't give generously, because we're stuck in one of two mindsets. We're stuck either in a greedy mindset or a materialistic mindset, or we're stuck in a scarcity mindset. That is a fear-based mindset. The greedy mindset says, I want more. I have to have more, mine, mine. The scarcity mindset says, I won't have enough. I better ensure that I have enough, mine, mine. But Christian friends, in Christ, we have infinitely greater than we could ever dream of. And in Christ, we have infinitely more than enough. Listen again to verse 8. It says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound. That's a pretty amazing verse. It's very rich. But there's even one little phrase here that's hard to translate from the original Greek language. When it says God is able to, quote, bless you abundantly, uh, it's hard. it sounds really clunky in the Greek and would translate very clunkily into our English. But here's essentially what Paul is saying with this just little short phrase. He said, he's saying, in an all-encompassing way, God will give you grace in an overly abundant sense. I mean, it's just, he's, it's just over the top. God will bless you, Paul is saying, as, as you give generously. So it seems to me this text is both warning us and inviting us not to miss out. That we ought to give generously such that God will bless us. And you know what? It's almost to say, if I could take it a step further, that God is saying to us, give it a go and see. Like, try it out. Give generously and I, and I will bless you. This is the first way our giving has impact. As we give generously, God generously blesses us. But here's the second way our giving has impact. As you give generously, God is praised. As you give generously, God is praised. Verse 11, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 12, it will also overflow in many expressions of thanks to God. Verse 13, because of your generosity, others will praise God. As you give generously, God is praised. 
Now, <laughs> if we're real about it, on the surface, I think we were, we were probably a little less excited about this point than the first one, right? The first one sounds really nice because as we give, God will generously bless us. This one, as we give, God will be praised. It's like, okay, that sounds nice, but I, uh... friends, this is way better. As, as you give generously, God is praised because it ultimately gets down to what life is about. What is life about? The Bible teaches life is ultimately about God, of course, who is our creator, our sustainer. He's our heavenly father. It doesn't matter if you think the world revolves around you functionally or not. The world revolves around him. What the West Ma- uh, Westminster Catechism says, just this real concise theological booklet, uh, some, maybe some of you have heard this before, it asks, what is the chief end of man? It answers, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What's our main purpose? Our main purpose is to glorify God and to enjoy him. And what Paul is saying here is a real way that we get to do that. We get to glorify him. We get to bring him praise is to generously give. Now, look, it says God is the giver and supplier of all things. If, you, if you're able to check verse 10, either now or later, God is the, the one who supplies. He's the one who gives, which is to say he doesn't need your giving. He doesn't need my giving. Everything is of him. Everything is from him. He doesn't need your giving, but giving is an opportunity to praise him and to to give thanksgiving to him, which is to say giving generously is a way that we worship God. We get to go to him as we give with this thought, with this feeling, perhaps with some words in our minds and hearts saying things to the effect of God. I recognize that everything is only ever from you anyhow, and I'm just only giving because you first gave to me. And so I say thank you for giving to me. And I'm saying also that I trust you, that you will provide for me in every good and perfect way that I need. Giving is worship. Jesus actually talked about this a little bit in Matthew 6 when he said, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know what that's saying? Jesus was saying it's, it's all too easy to make money our, fu- our functioning God. Or, you can think of it this way, money can reveal what it is we're actually worshiping, what our functioning gods actually are. Listen to how Tim Keller breaks this down insightfully in his book that's really aptly titled to, to our point. Uh, this book is called Counterfeit Gods. He said this, Some people want lots of money as a way to control their world and life. And such people usually don't spend much money, and they live very modestly. They keep it all safely saved and invested so that they can feel completely safe in the world. Others want money for access to social circles and to make themselves beautiful and attractive. These people do spend their money on themselves in lavish ways. Other people want money because it gives them so much power over others. In every case, money functions as an idol or or shows what we worship. And yet, because of various deep idols, it results in very different patterns of behavior. The person using money to serve a deep idol of control will often feel superior to others and use money to obtain power or social approval. In every case, however, however, money idolatry enslaves and distorts lives. Uh, Let me bring this home. I live in the Silicon Valley. We all live here in the Bay Area that is very well off compared to most of the U.S. and very well off especially compared to most of the world. Uh, there's a CEO here uh, named Pat Gelsinger. Now he's, he was formerly a CEO of VMware. Now he's a CEO of Intel. 
He once said in an interview, when you look at the data, the Silicon Valley in particular, but the Bay Area is, you know, close here too. The Silicon Valley is, according to many measures, the richest part of the U.S., while also falling essentially dead last in per capita charitable giving, which is to say we live in essentially the richest part of the U.S., while also the most miserly. Think of that. Many come to the area that I'm, I'm in, here in the Silicon Valley, telling themselves that they're going to change the world. And, you know, there's a lot of wonderful things coming out of the Silicon Valley. But this is also to say, or at least to suggest, that a lot of people are coming here not so much actually to change the world, but to change their own pockets. And Christian friends, uh, that ought to rock us. I mean, I don't care if you're religious or non-religious. That, uh, that data, that, th- this thought of where we are ought to give us pause. We get to give generously. And as we do so, it praises God. Uh, you know, think of it this way. Have you ever had a friend, uh, a really good friend, that you've, you've, you've been friends for a number of years, and, you know, there came a point in your friendship where, you know, they really kind of helped you out financially. Say when you were, you know, struggling, they, they, they kind of gave a gift or whatever to kind of help you through a hard time. Or maybe, you know, in another sense, they just gave you a really, you know, generous gift that just kind of caught you off guard. Have you ever had that happen and think of a friend that you had known for a while? Oh, my goodness, I, I never realized that our friendship was this strong, this deep. It's not as if they had just bought your friendship or purchased a, a new level of friendship with you. It's just that when they showed up in that hard time financially or when they gave you that generous gift, it meant something more to you. That's, that's what happens when we use our finances to praise God. It's, it's a way that we can worship him and say, hey, God, I trust you and I, I thank you. God doesn't need our money, but it's something that we get to use to praise him. And you know, it's, it's really important to note that it's not about the amount that we give, right? If you've grown up in the church especially, you know the famous story about the widow giving, giving just a few mites. That day when Jesus was out with his disciples in the temple courts and people were bringing their offering to God, Jesus was straight up watching them. I don't know about you, but whenever there's an offering time in, in church services, I'm not watching because that's, that's just awkward. I don't want to see. It's, you know, it's an intimate time between them and the Lord and and I, so I'm just not watching. But Jesus was straight up watching them. Why? Because that uh, those offerings were to him. <laughs> they were acts of worship, acts of offering to him. He was watching them. And at one point, when this woman, this widow, went up and just dropped a few coins into the basket, he pulled his disciples, his followers aside. And he said, did, did you see her giving? All these other people gave gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything that she had to live on. Everybody else was was giving a great amount more than she had been giving. But Jesus called out the fact that even in giving just such a little, what it, what it meant to her was so much more than to the others. Why? Because she was giving sacrificially. And God, God saw that. Jesus saw that and was honored by that. As we give, it's not about the amount. We get to give generously such that it praises God, that he's, that he's worshipped. So as we give, God blesses us. That's the first impact of our, of our giving. God is praised. That's the second. And then as we give generously, we get to join God in his work. As you give generously, you get to join God in his work. Notice all the so that's as I read these, these verses. And God is able to bless you, verse 8, abundantly, so that 
in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Paul here is affirming what the scriptures teach from the very beginning, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, when God calls a people to himself from Abraham and his descendants, you see that God blesses his people, yes, but in order that they may be a blessing. God does not bless his people so that the blessing remains with them. God blesses in order for his blessings to flow through them to others. And what's incredible is that as we give generously, God gives us the privilege of being a part of his eternal work. Jesus talked about this. He said, invest in things that will never fade. Rust cannot ruin. Moth cannot destroy. We get to be a part of God's eternal work when we give generously towards towards his kingdom work. Think of the greatest accomplishment you have in your life. You know, maybe maybe you know, it's through your children, maybe it was a sports you know, accomplishment. My father-in-law uh, worked for HP, the printing division, and, you know, this is decades ago, but he, he got to be a part of one of the first printers that was made, and I remember visiting for the first time and seeing, you know, this printer on the counter. It just looks super old school, and I'm just like, why would anybody keep this? It's so out of date. But then I heard the story, you know, this was essentially kind of like a trophy in his room. It just reminded him that he got to be a part of that Incredible work. I mean, anything we print today, I mean, kind of goes back to that that first printer. It's pretty. It's pretty cool. But anyway, like, think of the greatest accomplishment. Something like that. Something else. Whatever great accomplishment you and I can have in this life, it cannot compare to the eternal accomplishment God wants to do and will accomplish through you as you faithfully steward your resources towards His kingdom. Now again, does God need your money to accomplish his eternal purposes? No, but through our giving, we get to be a part of it. That's incredible. It's so beautiful to think through how God uses our giving to accomplish his eternal purposes. There's this incredible verse here at the end, at verse 14, when when Paul wrote the Corinthian church, he said, and their prayers, meaning the Jerusalem church's prayers that, that the Corinthians were giving to, and their prayers for you, Corinthian church, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. This is Paul saying to the Corinthian church, as you give to the Jerusalem church, it's gonna knit your hearts together. They're gonna think about you. They're gonna pray for you. They're gonna have you front and center on their mind as they give praises to God, and there's just a beauty related to that. You know, uh, the church that I lead, current church here in the Silicon Valley, has been going now for a little over five years, and it's been an incredible journey. Uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a journey that wouldn't have been possible if not for God moving in the hearts of partner churches to help us get off the ground. <laughs> we've, had to, we've had a number of churches who have just generously given such that we were able to kind of ramp up and you know, kind of get off the ground ourselves. And I've had the privilege of being able to go and visit some of these partner churches. I just va- visited another one a couple weeks back in the Texas area that's just given generously to us. And, and it's just such a fun thing to do. Often I'll get asked to share a message or just give an update of different things happening in the church, the salvations that are happening, and yes, in the Bay Area, and, and all those sorts of things. And often when I give a message, I'll come off the stage or whatever the case may be, and people will be there to talk. And I'll, I'll, there's been several times where people will come up to me, I've never met them before, with tears in their eyes. 
I don't even know their names. And they'll say, David, you and, and, and current church are a direct answer to prayers we've been praying for years. We've been praying for the Bay Area. We've been praying for the Silicon Valley. We've been praying people would come to know Jesus there, grow in him, that, that a healthy church would be able to thrive and, and reach people. And you're a direct answer to prayer. And it's like, man, how many more people have been praying for, for churches like Current, for churches like Inspire? And we're going to get to, you know, a lot of them we're not going to meet in this life. But in the next life, we're going to be able to swap a lot of stories all to God's glory and all for his praise. And you know what, friends? What this text is saying, what is inviting us into is as a church, we get to be a part of that too. There's the gift of receiving and there's the gift of giving. And what Jesus says is for wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's all for relationships. It's all for his eternal work. It's all for his glory. So don't you see? You know, it's pretty incredible that as you give generously, God will graciously allow you to be a part of his work. He'll bless you. He'll be praised himself and his kingdom, his gospel will advance. It's really amazing. It's really wise how he's put this all together. But why is this all so? <laughs> well, it's because we follow a giving God. Paul concludes this text in verse 15 saying, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Uh, let this not be missed. The reason we give is because we follow a giving God. In verse 14, right before that, he describes this indescribable gift. He says it's a surpassing grace. What is this gift? What is this grace? You've probably heard the most famous Bible verse of all. John 3.16 3, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift in gifting us his Son. And really, truly, it is a gift through and through. We can't earn it. All we can do is receive it. And God didn't just give us a little bit. He gave us everything. He gave us some life. And listen to the implication of this. Paul, writing to the Romans, said in, in chapter 8, verse 32, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Here's the main point, I think, we see in 2 Corinthians 9. Because God gives generously, we get to give generously. And we get to do it together. Uh, that's really what this, this text is all about. The application verse I want to leave you with is one that we kind of skipped over to come back to now. is verse 7. It says this, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So three points quickly of application that as we get to give, we see number one, God loves a cheerful giver. Uh, this is incredible. It's saying if you're not cheerful about your giving, <laughs> don't give. I mean, it's giving to the Lord is partly obedience, so that needs to be said. But we need to do it in such a way where we're, we're cheerful about it. And if we're not giving an amount that we're cheerful about, we need to first go back to the Lord and ask him to help us to be joy-filled. And really, it's not hard to do that. We just think about all the promises we just talked about in today's text, that as we give, he blesses us. Do we really believe that? And as we give, his name is praised. Do we really believe that? Do we really want that? And as we give, we're investing for the sake of being a part of his eternal work. Do we believe that? Do we, do we want that? God loves a cheerful giver. And then secondly, we see, it says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, meaning you need to think about it, pray about it. 
husbands and wives, you should have a conversation about it. Take it to the Lord in prayer, asking him how he might want you to give proportionately. By the way, you know, the the scriptures talk about a tithe. A tithe in the Old Testament times, that is before Jesus' life, uh, was 10%. God's people gave 10% to the Lord and his work at the temple. Uh, what Bible scholars tell us is 10% was an amount in that day and age, which, by the way, was far less well-off than we are today. 10% was an amount that they felt, meaning it was a, an amount that would have been felt as sacrificially and would have meant something as they gave that percentage, that proportion, as worship to God. And what Bible scholars tell us today is that while the, in New Testament times, this side of Jesus and his teachings, that we're not given a set amount. There's, there's no give 10% now to the church. So what Bible scholars tell us is, if anything, though, the conclusion of the matter is not to give less or even just the same amount, but if anything, if anything, give more generously. For one thing, we are way better off than, than those people in those times, meaning 10% affects us a lot less than it did them. But for another thing, and more importantly, those folks, as they gave that amount, didn't know about God what we know about God, and that is how generous God would ultimately be in giving us his son. And so we need to think about it and decide in our hearts how to give. And so I encourage you in this time to take some time to think about it. If you guys are married to your spouse, think about it with them. How much might God be moving in your heart to give, say, to inspire church? And, and, and generously giving to the work there, the spiritual and physical work there in the community and outside the walls of your church. And then number three, we see that we get to give together. Again, it says each of you should give, but notice that as he's saying each of you, he's talking holistically about everybody in the church. That is everybody, each on their own gives. Together as a church, there is this bigger and greater matter that's happening. And that's just to say, as we give as a church, look, we could all give separately in our own ways to different causes. And that's not to say this text is saying don't do that. But what Paul is stressing is that as we give collectively in a, as a local church, you will bring glory to God. People will draw the conclusions. They will say, oh my goodness, inspire church. Uh, that, man, they are generous. And, and they will understand that ultimately the generosity isn't so much from you, but from God through you. And that's what we're talking about. It's, it's incredible how God works in these ways, the wisdom that he has when it comes to the discipline of giving, because the, the promises here are wonderful. As we give generously, God will bless us. He will be praised, and we will get to be a part of his life-changing work, all because he first so generously gave and continues to give to us. Let's pray. Father, we give because you first have given to us. And you just you didn't just give, you know, in a little way. You you gave us our being, our life, and you gave us your life through your son on the cross. And through him and through that ultimate sacrificial and generous act of love, eternal life. So we say thank you. And Father, would you stir in our hearts to give? Would you help us give not because we have to, but because we get to. Would you help us give cheerfully? Help us to not miss out on the blessing, on giving you praise and, and enjoining you in your eternal work. I pray that you would make it such that Inspire Church would be known for its generosity, that people in the community would see your generosity through them in their service, 
in their relationships, and yes, in their resources. Would you bless them? And through them, would you be a blessing to many? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. And we hope you are inspired as we journey together to reorient our lives in life-giving practices as demonstrated in God's Word. 